<laughs> Few people have been to very many revivals. I attended Brown's Revival. Anybody heard about the Brown's Revival? That went on in Florida for, I think, 13 years it went on. And in that place, there was something that happened, and I experienced true revival. I've been to revival meetings where the evangelist comes into town, pumps you up, throws an altar call, and most of those preachers are so good, they just scare the hell out of you. I, that's what I call it, because here's what they do. They get that guilt and condemnation, you and sin, you're going to go to hell, and they preach that, and it scares you so much, what do you do? You run to the altar and get saved. No, I ran to a loving God. When I ran to a loving God that loved me and had mercy and grace for me, that's what kept me saved. Not being scared that I'm going to get in trouble from the hand of God. Come on, church. Revival brings that love and that joy back, not that dread. i got to go to church. Oh, God, I wonder what the preacher's going to preach on. I wonder what kind of music going to have. Look, true revival brings us to a place what I call renewal and restoration. Someone would say, I need a restoration. The older I get, see, my eyesight ain't so good. If you could just see the print that I got up here to read without glasses, you would laugh. But when I put on my glasses, I brush my teeth and my hair, I say, ooh, I can really see then what I look like. Getting older, got some wrinkles and stuff, but, but restoration, a freshness. I'm not talking about flesh, church. I'm talking about spirit. See, we are our spirit beings. You can try to dress that thing up, doctor it up, make it all look good as long and as hard as you want, but your gravity is still a God's plan. A fresh inflow of life. Somebody say a fresh inflow of life. I don't know about you, but the devil's trying to steal, kill, and destroy every one of us, and he's doing everything he can to steal our joy. If the devil can steal your joy, he can steal your goods. Oh, come on, somebody, somebody better say amen. <laughs> but think about this now, just for a minute. A fresh inflow of life and love and the power of God when people are revived, man. It's not like when people faint, we go pick them up. Ushers, you have some people faint, you pick them up, put a little water on them, and what do they do? They get revived. And they feel better. Come on. A flower wilts, but you put a little water in it, pooses right back up. Huh? It droops, but it comes back. And the Lord said, my church is drooping. My church is drooping. People are drooping. It's time that we get back and get on fire for God. How do we do that? Christians and churches droop and get down and out. We take on the cares of the world because we live in the world. There's degrees of revival. Now, one degree of revival is like, let's say, a sick person. They get revived. They feel better. And little by little, they get restored to full health. Now, when I was on drugs one time and I fell in the floor and my heart felt like it was coming out and I was ODing, I cried out to God in my desperation and I went sober like that. God raised me up with a fire in my bones. And all I said is, God, don't let my family and my kids see me die this way. And a fire and a heat hit my body, and I got up off that floor, and I was as sober as I am right now. And I'm telling you, church, that's being revived. And today what I see is that we as a church can only do that. The minister of music can't do it for you. The preacher can't get you fired up and keep you on revival. Emergency rooms stay open 24 hours because not all accidents happen from 9 to 5. Let us pray that we become deeply burdened. Someone say deeply burdened. I don't know about you, but I want a full-scale Holy Ghost revival in this land and indeed throughout the world. And not only in the world, we are in the steps leading up to it. And I ask God, how do you do that? Carry me to, to the, the scriptures you're in right now. 85 declares, and David shows how that is. First and foremost, you've got to admit and confess, I need revival. I don't know about you, but we come to the church. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Everything's great. Praise God, Pastor. Woo! And we don't admit all the drama and the crap that's going on in our lives. Can I choose that word? Thank you. Uh, but the problem is we don't get real we want to hide our stuff. We don't want people to see us as we really are. But you've got to understand, the need for revival in our lives is key. The psalmist confessed it. He said, I need it. Huh. It was the first time that he knelt down and said, I need it in verse 6. Huh. Somebody say, I need it. See, that was real weak because we, some of us don't know we need it. 
we're caught up so much in life and we're busy and we're having, having jobs and we're paying bills and we're so busy and we've got a life going on and there's football and there's golf and all these things that keep us distracted. Somebody's jet skiing right now because they don't want to be in church and i got news for you. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But don't neglect God in your life. There's a multitude of people out there. So the stage is this, the multitude. There's the outside world. The outside world, I, I get this because I'm, we're a small church. I get this. But these churches got these lit up signs. You see these new digital signs on these churches. It's like, we really got to do that now? We've got to put a digital sign out with big lights to get people to come? When Jesus did not once in three years build a church and tell everybody to come to him. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. But it's true that we got to have church. we got to have you and I to come together, meet together, greet together, eat together. And we got to have that place we can come and get fed. Amen? The next thing is, huh, it's in the church. Many churches right now are worldly, lacking in spiritual power. But they'll tell you everything's going good here. we got so many programs that fit every need for everybody. Well, I didn't know you were Walmart, praise God. The church today is turned into a consumer, not a Christian. We're consumers. Be surprised at how many people leave a church because, well, they got a better youth program over there, and they got this, and they got that, because we are selfish. We go to a church many times. I know people that change churches over and over because they don't sit out where they are and just get along with the people they got. And there's so many people that have left churches because they got offended. Well, in a family, you can't leave the family. Man, you've got to suck it up and get together and work that thing out. Hmm. Great relationships are not relationships without conflict. Great relationships are relationships that resolve conflict. Jesus made every one of them resolve their issues in-house, 12 of them. Only one at the end decided not to, and it costed him his life. Can somebody say amen? Now, church, here's the third thing. In our own lives, number one, it's the world. They're crying out. I don't care how big a sign you got, how big your church is. I don't care how many pizzas they give. I don't care how much hot dogs and hamburgers they give to the youth. I don't care how much coffee and donuts they give you before church and let you drink it in the service. Where's the holy place of God? Where's the temple? Where's the reverence for God? Where do we come to that place where we just want to get away from the world? Look at me. Some people need to do out with a little bit of caffeine. <laughs> but that's God's fault because I told the Lord, if you get me up in the morning, I promise I got to have a cup of coffee. And I did, praise God. But the point is now the church. What we have here is three stages. The world. The world's not driving by a church and seeing a big sign that says revival meetings. I think I'll go there. No, when I was sinning, the last place I wanted to go was church. The world don't come to church, church. And they don't want to come to your church because many times they hear your drama and how you got offended, how they hurt you, and how you left. How the preacher failed to sin. How that nationwide scandal happened. I don't want none of that. The world that's in sin don't want to come to church. So what does the church got to do? You got to go get them. And boy, we got a chance to go get them. I got news for you. I don't care what you give, what you got. There ain't nothing greater in the world to run into somebody that needs some help. And you talk to them and you share the gospel. And I say, look, are you saved? And they say, I, I'm not saved. Do, do, do you want to get saved? Yes. There's nothing greater than praying for somebody to go to heaven. Nothing greater than that, church. That was me years ago, but I've lost it because I became a pastor. That's Tending the sheep, cleaning up the sheep dung, worried about who leaves and comes, can't meet the budget. How do we meet the budget? Church is dying in America. In 2001, I was in a, in a, in a, in a seminary, and I'll never forget the southern minister that came up. He was a southern Baptist minister, and I was at like a word of faith kind of powerful a Holy Ghost kind of school, and this guy steps in, and the first thing he says is, all of y'all are studying to be a minister. Well, join the club. You are studying to be in an organization that is dying. That was 2001. Decline in America is 30%. My friends and family tell me in different places around the world how attendance has dropped. 
people that used to go every Sunday, Wednesday night, and Bible study may go once a month, maybe twice a month. And what I'm saying is I'm not getting that to get on your conviction. I'm just saying there's nobody hungry anymore. Why? Because the church is an organization. But yet God said church is not an organization. It's an organism. And you are the organism. Don't confuse the building with the body of Christ. The church is you and me. And if they ain't getting saved, it's my fault and your fault. But it ain't my fault because my Bible said pastors teach them to do the work of the ministry. I've been teaching for almost 20, over 20 years. I just teach you to go out there and do it. But I, I got to admit, I, I, I hadn't done it myself lately. So I'm repenting before God. I've lost my evangelism. I've lost my zeal. I've lost my passion because I started managing people and not... You can't ever manage people. Don't ever discern how somebody's doing by their behavior. Behavior is always just a modification change. Church, it ain't how much you sin. You're going to sin. But don't let sin stop you. You just ask God to forgive you and move on. The devil wants to tell you you ain't got enough Bible. You don't pray enough. You can't do it. I got news for you. You stop at the first person that you see crying in the street or somewhere and just say, hey, can I pray for you? Church, I am so fired up to get back into evangelism again. So in our own lives, we've got to have the power back. And you got the power. Somebody say, I got the power. Okay, now you didn't mean it, but you're going to mean it before you leave here. Because you got to understand the enemy wants to let you know you ain't got none. But the devil's a liar and God is all truth. Got a woman here, don't you let me forget you, Betty, to tell that testimony. She's got one burning over there. She's got to tell. You need to hear it and I need to hear it. I don't even know what it is. Revival. Hmm. Ooh. How little do we pray? We want revival, but we don't pray. Many times we pray, but we don't pray the right thing. We pray, Lord, help me. Lord, please heal my boss so I can have a good job. Lord, please give me some money. So I can get a boat or a car. Lord, could you help me get a new place, a bigger place? Oh, God, we pray to God. I think sometimes God. I, I love sports too, but can you imagine on a Saturday college football day how many people with 30 seconds left and the guy's got the ball, fourth down, how praying, oh, God, please let them score. Oh, God, please let them score. And God is looking down and going, if they just only knew. There will never be any revival until we're willing to admit the desperate need for it. Church, you'll never have a revival until you look at yourself in the mirror, look at myself, and I'm a preacher, and I failed in the last few years because of dormancy in my life, a stagnation because of dealing with church and administration and people. Guys, I am not going to be in bondage any longer. We must, number two, what was number one? Got to admit the need. Number two, we must admit that it's possible. To have revival. It's possible to have revival. Somebody say it's possible. We got to be convinced that revival is it. Six times, David, the, the psalmist said, six times, he said, Oh Lord. He reminded God, he said, God, you showed us. God, you did this for us. God, you helped us. He kept telling God what he did. We are forgetting that we complain more about what's going on than he reminded God what he did for me in the past. You need to wake up your spirit and quit complaining and say, I quit complaining, and I'm going to ask, tell God, I remember he did that for me. Some of you might say, it was only it was 1943, but dear God, I remember it, Lord. You did it for me. We just got to stir up something inside of us. David said, I thank you, Lord, for what you did to us. I thank you, Lord, you forgave us our sin. David said, I thank you, Lord, that you did not destroy us. Why? Because you got to thank God. Give him all the praise and glory, church. Please, somebody shout. The fact is that God sent revival in past demonstrations. Possibilities of revival coming again. How many got my, my text yesterday? Did anybody get my text on revival? Some people will not admit the possibility of revival coming in our day. For example, the ultra-dispensationalist, if you know who they are, and the pessimist, and the unbelieving, and the self 
satisfying and the worldly Christians will be slow to admit the possibility that God is going to move in revival. Oh, did you see that on TV? They're all laughing. Just a bunch of people laughing. That can't be God. That's just crazy. You see them people jumping around, flipping around on their heads and on the backs? That ain't revival. That's just crazy. And people just want their money. And people just want their money. They just act a fool. Look, don't you dare call something foolish. When God said, I use the foolish things to confound the wise. That's why I stand before you today as a foolish man. Why? Because I ain't smart, I ain't intelligent, didn't go to Yale. But I know one thing. I know who created the heavens, the earth, and the stars, and the sky. I know why I'm standing here alive today when I should be dead. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Woo! Second Chronicles says what? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Oh, Lord, church, somebody say, I got to pray. You're wondering why some things are going on in your life. You're wondering why problems in your family, your job, your workplace, your marriage. You're wondering why the situation has gotten bleak. I got news for you. One of the biggest reasons is because we don't pray. We complain, murmur, blame it on somebody else. But I got news for you, church. The Bible's very clear. That the Bible says, if you'll cry unto me, God said, if you'll cry unto me, I'll hear you cry. See, one day I came to church and we got a little attendance roll back there. And we keep the attendance. And it ain't been looking good lately. I mean, I, I got a attendance book over here. And we count it every week. And when the ushers come and tell me in the service, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. But the Lord told me, he said, you got to stop worrying about the attendance. Because everybody that's in attendance ain't even with me. Everybody in attendance ain't here. You got to stop worrying about attendance. And you better understand, I need somebody attentive to me. Amen. Thank you, I went, oh, yes, Lord, okay. I said back in the day when I first started preaching, I'll preach, I don't care if it's one. Then when the numbers started getting out, I started getting down and out about where's everybody at? What am I doing wrong? I ain't doing nothing wrong. I'm just, you know, I'm just here. I got my own mistakes. I have not been passionate and on fire. I can't expect you to if I'm not. If I'm the leader of this church and I ain't fired up, how are you going to get fired up? So, number three, we must recognize the source of revival. What is the source? Where does revival come from? <laughs> In 62.11, one thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to God. We in America got too much trust in the government. We got too much trust in our jobs. We got too much trust in our stuff. But the Bible's clear that says, look, one thing we need to do is understand where revival comes from. It's going to come from God. I can't stir it up with a text for you. I can't play the right music to get you pumped up and excited. But I do know this. You've ever seen anybody collapse or being drowned from a pool and they come out of the water and they're dead and you see some paramedics go and grab them, bring life to them, and minister what? CPR. CPR. And breathe life in them. And they cough up water spitting up. Now that's a revival. Somebody got revived. But I got news for you. It's the same way with us with spiritual revival. We will not do it on our own. We can't do good enough. We can't read the Bible good enough. You can't even pray enough to bring revival on. What happens in revival of life is we finally get hungry for God. I don't care about my situation. I ain't worried about the problems of my life. I ain't going to get into worry. I'm going to get into God and watch Him deliver me. Church, we got to stop listening to the naysayers. So understand this. It comes from God. It's not worked up, but sit down is what the Bible said. And therefore, our eyes must not be upon men, methods, churches, denominations, but upon Him. Come by. Yeah. Somebody, has a denomination let you down? Maybe the doctrine just, yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, when we look to man and what man can do, ooh, you get what man can give you. When you look to money, praise God, you can get what money can do for you. But when you look even to an organization, anybody ever been hurt by an organization? Somebody let you down. Maybe you've been driving a Ford for so long, and then all of a sudden you've got a lemon, and that organization now is sour to you. But if you look to an organization, you're going to get what an organization can do. But when we look to a denomination, that's what we get. 
we get what a denomination can do. But when we look to God, we get what God can do. Psalm 62, 5 says, Yes, my soul rests in God. My hope comes from Him. Someone say it with me. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. I don't know about you, but we got to start detaching some stuff out of our lives. we got to start letting go of some stuff that's attached to us to get out of this funk. It's called a worldly funk. The Bible is very clear that your body, you, the church, you are the living temple of the Holy Ghost. You represent Amen. God in your body. There is no plan B. You are plan A. Amen. And when you relinquish your joy and your power and your love for people and get out there and witness, you have lost the battle for God. I don't know about you. I don't know. But I got news for you. There's something happening today that a denomination can't do, man can't do. So understand that 62.5 is very crucial to your salvation and mine. Now, well, number four, we must understand and know huh, the means of securing revival. The means for revival. It's not the music. It's not the denomination. It's not handing out fancy flyers. It's not saying, we're going to have revival like I've been doing. And drum up something. Man, drum up something. I started to one day, I just text everybody, I said, I got some very important news to deliver Sunday. I am desperately needing to share with the church some desperate news. Please show up. And state it in a way where it just leaves you wondering. And then when you come and the house is full, nobody's going to know what the pastor's going to say. And then all of a sudden I just say, Jesus is Lord. Amen. <laughs> Shouldn't that be enough? Shouldn't that be enough that we come together? Shouldn't that be enough? So we got to know where it comes from. It comes from prayer. You remember in the verse it says, Will you not? Passionate, believing, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth what? Much urgent prayer. Where's the body of Christ praying for urgent prayer? Oh, we're praying selfishly. I want this person in office. I need this person to win the election because if I get him, he's my buddy. I can get some perks. I need this job, Lord. I need this favor here. I need this and that. But when is it that we're going to finally understand that its revival is never, ever going to be brought until somebody's praying? See, you got to start praying when you come to church. Lord, I'm doing good this week. i got money. Everything's fine. I'm not having any health issues. I'm going to go to church, Lord, and I'm praying that somebody... Get set free today. I'm not coming for me. I'm fine. But if we got on our face before God and begin to pray for the body of Christ and pray for people, we come to church, whoo, ooh, there'd be a power. But we come to church, oh, God, feed me, Pastor. I've had a rough week. I need a word. Oh, God, he taught on tithing. Always want money. Oh, he's tired. Talking about stewardship. He needs volunteers. Church, we got to start praying for people. Pentecost, Moravian revival, that 1859 revival, the Welch revival, the movements. If you've never heard of them, look them up because they will fire you up. Hmm. They're taking place in revivals all over the world right now. There's a move of God going in Asia right now that is just moving people. Cleft lips are being healed in Jesus' name without doctors. Because the people's coming together, they learn about God, they learn about His healing, His power, and they believe, believe it. Huh. Number five, we must provide the channels for revival. But before I leave prayer, I want to tell you, I hadn't been praying like I should. For a long time, I've been praying this, God, we need this, God, we need to beat the budget this week, God, we need people to show up, God, we need this, God. I was selfish. I'm looking at the need. See, the Bible... I learned this a long time ago, but I even forgot it. You ever learn something and you forgot it, and then when you remember it, you go, oh, that's pretty good. Don't work for the need you know, but work for seed to sow. Hmm. Lord gave me that a long time ago, and I let the devil steal that from me for a while. And I'm looking at the need and the budget not being met. I'm looking at the bills, and I'm getting all freaked out. I'm looking at attendance dropping, and I'm getting all freaked out. Ah, don't work for the need you know. Work for seed to sow. Hmm. So, Last night I said, Mindy, I'm going to text everybody at our text bill about revival. I said, I'm texting everybody. I'm going to go to prayer in the morning at 5 o'clock. I'm going to go to prayer and I'm going to text everybody see, see who shows up. Mindy goes, ha, 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 I'm tired. It was already what time? Almost 11 o'clock. She goes, you ain't even going to get up. Ha, ha, ha. And she went on to bed. 
So I'm fired up getting scripture. Just I'm fired up, man. I'm so excited. It's 1 o'clock. I'm trying to go to sleep. I'm still studying and reading and looking at revivals, and I'm studying the Great Awakening Revival, and I'm looking at all the Smith Wiggle words, and I'm thinking about the power of God moving. And where is he? I finally fall asleep. And this is going to get real honest. Y'all don't mind if I get real honest, because I'm going to share with you something. Look, I was holding it now, but as I was drifting off, I was thinking, well, I'll just snooze it once. That'll give me 18 minutes. Well, you know, really, I could just, instead of going to pray at 5, I could get there at 8 get dressed and just do it all at one time. As as I'm drifting off, I'm thinking, I'll just go at 9. At 3.30 a.m., something hit my head. It was a pinch right there. I reached in my head, and it woke me up. And I felt a knot right there, and I went, that could be a tick. (laughs) I felt it. I got mad. I yanked it out. It was in my hand. I'm trying to be quiet so don't wake me up. Many wake up at the slightest noise. The door in my room sometimes, the bedroom, it, it closes by itself by the air conditioning. Bam! I hit the door. I still got whatever this is. It's dark in my hand. I get to the sink. I throw it in the sink. I can't see close without these. I didn't have them. I looked down. I said, Lord, what is it? Just as clear as day. Here's the tick. I pulled it out of my head, had blood on my finger. And all I'm thinking, gosh, the job I do during the week, I'm around a bunch of long, long, lengthy parentals. I'm in the bush. I see deer all in the woods. I think of the tick, the deer ticks. I'm thinking of all these things. I'm thinking of dear friends we got that have had Lyme disease that weren't the same for years because that stuff is wicked. And I'm sitting here at 3.30 in the morning asking myself, well, what else should I do? If I go get Mindy, you know, she'll get up. I'll mess her up so I can't wake Mindy up. So what do I do? I do what we all good people do. I Googled it. So, so when I Googled it, the MMD come up and said, first and foremost, if you recognize the tick, do not pull it out. Get some uh, alcohol, rub it and clean it. Get someone else to take some tweezers and pull it out. And not only that, then alcohol your head. Make sure you take the specimen and put it in a bag so we can identify what it is. I done figured out it was a tick and I, I washed it down the sink. I saw it crawling, little foul devil from hell. Any blood sucking animal is from the curse. It ain't from God. Ticks. Please, honest of the curse. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have them foul devils. Poison ivy, that wasn't in heaven. So, if I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh God, I'm going to get Lyme disease. This thing bit me on the head. How did I not? I mean, you look at me. The biggest organ on my body is my head. I'm wearing fire. I call it retarded. I wear fire retarded clothes all week, boots on, up to here. And when I'm working, I got a hard hat on. How did a tick get in my head? Then all of a sudden I said, well, I can go back in and get in the sink. I might be able to find him in the bottom of the drain. I need to find out what specimen bit me. Come on now, church. I'm freaking out. Next thing you know, I, I got a Q-tip and I put alcohol on that wound. Too late. I done pulled out my hand. It said if you pull a tick out by your head and you break him in half, some of that poison and stuff will get in there even worse. So I didn't know if it was still in there. I'm freaking out. Next thing you know, I poured the alcohol over my head in the sink. It's 4.06 now. Church, I didn't tell me to just store this morning. So she's hearing it for the first time. All I could hear was Lyme disease, Lyme disease, Lyme disease. I'm dying of Lyme disease. I feel it. My my muscles are already weak. I'm dying. So I got myself together. And I said, Lord, in Jesus' name, I curse that bite. In the name of Jesus, Lyme disease, you have a name. The Bible says everything has a name. Must bow to that name. And that name is Jesus. And I cursed it and rebuked it. By this time, it's a quarter to five. Church, I can promise you one thing. The way I was feeling and what I was telling myself about putting prayer off the next morning, I was going to do it. Let's just go ahead and get honest. Preacher was not going to make it. Mindy was going to laugh and say, I told you, you wasn't going to get up. You get up all week long, early in the morning. 
Sunday morning you need to rest. But one tick bit me at 3.30 a.m., got my attention. I could not go back to sleep for fear and worry. And then all of a sudden I had to get to grips with myself. And I had to work this out. I ain't got no Lyme disease. I've confessed no Lyme disease in Jesus' name. But what happened was, man, God will do some things. A tick was in my head. A blood-sucking creature was sucking my blood. Well, I'm asleep. Oh, God. I got up and then I started examination. Is there anyone else? Is there someone else in here? Should I wake Mindy up? This is serious, man. If there's some more on me, I might not make it. I mean, I'm learning. I'm running in a whole nother rim now. <laughs> Gathered myself up again, and I said, "Lord, I rebuke that in Jesus' name. I rebuke it." I checked my body out as best I could. I didn't. I didn't get all that serious. So what the point was? God knew I wasn't gonna make it. Now, I'm not saying God put that tick on me, but I'm saying God allowed it. I don't know about you, but you can pray all the pain and suffering out of your life all you want. But the Bible said Job was a man after God's heart. Job was a righteous man. And the devil came to him and said, I want that man, but you've got a hedge around him, God. I bet you if you release that hedge, he'd give in, cave in. I bet you. If it wasn't for that tick scaring me, Getting me up. I admitted to God on the way here. I said, Lord, I was going to sleep in. I already had, I already, I know how to do the snooze button on my phone without even looking at it to get me 18 more minutes. But God used that situation to wake me up, to show me that I don't know about you, but I got a need for God. I can't rest one minute and say everything's fine. I'm okay. I don't need you today, God. I need God when I'm asleep. I need God when I'm seeing things looking right. I need God when I don't even know I need God. But we forget God so much because the world has so many shining lights at us. It tells us we got to have this, we got to have that. You need to bigger this and bigger that. You're not going to be anything until you get this. Church, don't fall for that cheese. I've fallen to the cheese. I ain't falling for it no more. Church, there ain't nothing more important than letting somebody know that God is there. Sharing your witness. I was coming around a curve, and the rule of the thumb in the company that I work for is number one, don't tear up the equipment. I'm coming around the curve. I speed a lot, and God's working with me on that. And I was speeding on a backcountry road. My boss is in the room right now. What am I saying? Oh. Holy Spirit, you wrote me to continue. Okay. He won't fire me? Okay. Um, <laughs> at the moment I caught the check from the Holy Ghost, slow it down. Put your other hand on the wheel. I hit the curve. Three deer in the road. Three deer right around the corner. I believe if I hadn't backed it down and listened to the Holy Spirit, if I hadn't just been conscious to know there is a God, there's a God that still speaks today. There's a God that has a Holy Spirit for us today that guides us and teaches us and shows us all things. But yet we reject the Holy Spirit. Oh, and some church, oh, that Holy Spirit thing is really weird. Invited a girl to church, Mindy did one time. She said, I went to church one time up in West Virginia, and it was wild. People danced around, shaking around, had snakes, and they were speaking in tongues and all that. Some people get flaky. I don't see anywhere in Scripture where you handle them snakes. I got news for you. Jesus said, you snake, you'll be on your belly. Now get on the ground. Now me, I kill them all. I don't care what color they are because I just think snake, serpent, devil. Don't kill it. It's a green snake. I don't care. I'm an authority this planet. God said I have authority over the beast and the in the air. I kill it. I know some of you are mad at me already, but please have mercy on me. Because you're going to need it tomorrow. <laughs> All right, so I move on to a channel. Now, I don't know about you, but we got, we, you, number five, you must provide channels for revival. I don't know about you. What is a channel? Huh, huh, we need channels. Channel is you. Hmm. Somebody say, I'm a channel. Hmm. I mean, and I just did the best thing we could ever do in our lives. We got tired of cable. 
I love my cable. I love my sports channels. I love all that stuff. But I got like 700 channels on there I'm paying for I don't use. So we decided to downsize and get an antenna, praise God. And now we got 47 channels. I love every one of them. And I don't give cable any more money. I got an antenna. They give free service. And I just watch what I need to watch. I, I, it's all good. What I'm saying to you, church, sometimes you got way more channels out there that's pulling your life and your time. And it may not just be from the TV. You've got channels. We hear more advertisements and things to sell, to sell us at a daily time than most people in other countries would love to have one commercial where they could get bottled water. Church, I got news for you. I got some more things coming out of my life, too, that I got that I don't need. They're a distraction to me. Amen. Charles Finney said one time, he said, basically, sin is anything that distracts. I got news for you. My Bible says to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy strength. Amen. That means everything about you. That means your heart that you love with, your head, your think with, and your intellect, and your strength, everything you do. Anything you do with your strength, you leave God out of it, you have a potential of a mess. I know. I'm a big mess. Some of y'all know my past, and I made a lot of mistakes because I like to do it. I like to do it my way. Sometimes I would do it in the name of Jesus and be dead wrong. Hey, we can be wrong. Boy, but when I fall, God always picks me up. Now, God is wanting to send a revival, but it's you, channel. Say, I'm a channel. I don't know what channel you are. I don't know what channel, what frequency you're supposed to be in. I don't know what occupation you're in, but I got news for you. First and foremost, you're the channel of your home. If you're the head of the home, you're the channel. The channel that takes care of your wife. You're the channel that takes care of your kids. You're the channel. First and foremost. Ministry about killed my wife and I in ministry. We had ministry at church. We carried ministry home. Phone calls came to our house in all hours of the night. We argued about what to do, what not to do. She wanted red Christmas trees. I wanted green Christmas trees. We would be in the sanctuary, and I don't mind telling you, I'm going to be transparent. We would be arguing over stuff in the name of Jesus. We're in ministry. And, and for years, I neglected my kids. And for years, I did ministry, and I left my, my young boys out in a lot of ways. I was just gung-ho in ministry. Some of us were just so gung-ho in work, we're leaving our families out. You'll never be able to minister to anyone else until you're the minister of your own home, until that light in your home is the light that shines so bright that your son will say, when Jerry Springer comes to your house, hey, give me some dirt on your daddy. They ain't none. My daddy ain't perfect, but he loves me, and he loves God. So you know you're in trouble when Jerry Springer calls and says, hey, your son wants to invite you on TV. <laughs> Don't go. <laughs> Number six, we must remove the obstacles. What is an obstacle? What is the greatest obstacle to revival? Church, I'm going to say it, and we need to confess it. Some of you have never been here for a while. In those trash cans over there, there are different levels, but it don't matter. Four weeks ago, the Lord said, put trash cans up there and tell the people to get rid of their idols. Now, I don't know about you, but my idols will probably fit in that. That's how many I probably got. And I'm just be honest with you. I'm not perfect, but gosh, I love God. I want to be better. But we have got to get rid of the idols in our lives. And these trash cans are here for you to write it on a piece of paper, sign your name to it, but I promise you no one will read it, tear it up, and put it in that can. The only way you can get through something is first you've got to acknowledge it first. If you've got a problem, you've got to first admit you have a problem. One thing about Christians, we deny everything. We don't all worry about, oh, gays and lesbians. We don't worry about this and that. If you told one white lie this week, you are guilty of all the sins in the Bible. Be careful how you judge because we judge because we want to make ourselves look a little bit better. Well, at least I'm not that. Did you tell a lie? Well, you know, Pastor, it was a touchy situation. If I told them the truth, somebody would have got hurt. Well, you might have saved them from getting hurt, but you sure hurt yourself. I got news for it's time to church to grow up. Be honest. Dear God, if I got a BC in my nose, just tell me. Don't hide it. Pastor, you need to get, okay. 
Don't go out to church at that lunch and say, oh, you should have seen the pastor had one of those cliffhangers in his nose. <laughs> tell me, praise God. You got something against me? Don't go tell somebody else. You got some problem with this service today? Don't go tell somebody. That was the worst service I ever. Did you, did you believe he said that? No, you come to me and tell me that. And if somebody comes to you and says, man, can you believe that? Oh, well, let's me and you go take it to the pastor right now. See, gossip, slander is one of the worst things that you could do to a man or a woman. God said there's seven things he hates, and slander and gossip is one of them. See, the tongue is one of our biggest problems in the body of Christ. We use our tongue to slander and to kill and destroy, but we don't use our tongue to edify. God gave us a tongue to edify, not destroy. Every time you go to destroy somebody, the Bible says you'll reap what you sow. You're wondering why somebody's attacking you. Did you ever just attack somebody and they didn't know about it? There you go. So, watch this now. I said all that to say this. You must remove the obstacle. The obstacle is always sin. We got to say it, church. We just got to admit to God when we're in sin. We got to admit those kind of things. We just have to say, God, I did that. Oh, God, I was driving down the boulevard. Woo, that was a good-looking girl. Lord, you did good. And let it go at that. Don't you take the second look. Jesus said, your commandment to you is that you could just think it, and you've committed it. You, you, see, in Old Testament, it was easier. You, you had to kill somebody for murder. But sometimes you get so mad, I'll kill that person. You already did it. The Bible says if you think it in your heart, you've committed it. It's harder to be a Christian today than the old Testament. Because God knows our heart, church. You can't lie to the Holy Spirit about our heart and where we are. Church, if I could stir you up today just to get real and understand that we've got to understand that God wants us back. Sin is S-I-N. I see it like this. The acronym S-S-I-N. Sin-I-N. Sin-I, not you. It's easy for us Christians to say, well, Lord, that's some people over there, they acted up. Boy, the whole world's a mess. The government's a problem. But everything's like, I'm fine, though. No, you've got to acknowledge the sin I in. Don't look to anybody else, because when you get to heaven, there ain't going to be nobody there but you and him. Church, we've got to admit sin. I've had some bad thoughts. I've had some stuff come to my mind. I had unforgiveness that I had to let go. I've had people that hurt me in ministry. And I realized I wasn't letting it go all the way. Mm. And Jesus said, look, you ain't had near as people hurt you as they hurt me. And what did I say when they hung me on the cross? Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus could say, they're blind. They don't know. They beat me. They slander me. They kill me. But they don't know me. Church, if Jesus can forgive them, we can too. Sin, I am. We got to acknowledge that, church. We got to let it go. I don't know about you. Some of you already got your pencil out to throw some stuff in that trash can because I got news for you, church. If we don't start getting real and getting rid of, we're going to be in trouble. Now, that your people may rejoice in you indicates in verse 6, walking with God, be in agreement with God, Walking and talking to God. Man, I was so excited when I was got up. Then I actually got in the car and I was coming to church. It was before 5 and I'm driving down 17. There ain't a car on the road. I turn on the radio and lo and behold, God gave you a sign. The song was, oh, heaven let your light shine now. Whoa, heaven let your light shine now. And I'm just going like. Yeah, shine down, Lord. Yeah, I'm going to church. I'm going to pray. Woo, I feel good. Yeah. Then the next song came on. It was Led Zeppelin. <laughs> whole lot of love. I like the way you move and the way you shake that thing. I'm telling you, church, we can be in the spirit one second, and we can walk out of this church and be in the flesh just like that. I don't know about you. I know y'all holier than that. But come on now, church. Let's just admit it. I'm the preacher. And I'm admitting it. So what did I do? I cut it off. But did I want to? <laughs> Dog it. Flesh. Oh. Come on, let's all do it together. Put your hand out there like that. Come on. Bad flesh. Bad flesh. Come on, put it in submission. 
I'm serious, church. I love classical rock music. I love that stuff. I still got it in me. I believe that God uses music. But many times, just like Collective Soul is a rock band, they had no clue that that hit song, the reason why it became hit, because it was spiritual. Why love songs make it more than any other songs? It's because love never fails. The hardest rock bands in the 80s that had hair down to here, screaming and yelling, and then they sing a, Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then they make a hit. Why? Love never fails. See, music is powerful and it's affected all of our lives. I can remember the song that was playing when Mindy and I, she first let me date her. <laughs> the greatest barrier to revival is sin. Let's say it together. Lord, expose my sin to me first. Please, I don't want it to get out. See, God always gives time for us to repent privately so it don't go public. I don't know about you, but I have dreams of being in that magazine at the convenience store right there on the counter. You ever seen that thing? I mean, it's a beautiful pictures. I can see it now, a preacher on the front page of magazine in an orange suit. Going to jail for something. And all the naysayers, I've been here 20 years, and I've still got family members that tell people that I'm in this for money. I got friends that say he was always a drug addict, and he'll still be a drug addict. That never once has admitted or convinced and to be happy about me being a minister. My dad wasn't even happy about it when I went to seminary. He didn't speak to me for a long time. But at the end of his life, when he got right and he got sick, he got right with God. He came to me and told me, I'm proud of you, son. Amen. I just couldn't understand why you get a job where you just work one day a week. <laughs> oh, y'all thought it. <laughs> Bobby knew. Yeah, yeah. But he finally called it. He caught what got, got a hold of me. He caught what finally got me off of drugs. He caught what set me free. He caught something that I had. And at the end of his life, he accepted Jesus Christ. And he now sits in heaven. And he was a tough man, rough man, hardcore man. Hard, verbally abusive. But in his last days, he spoke some powerful words. A few words that just uplifted me and changed me forever. I forgave him and love him to this day. And now I admit I needed every bit of it that he gave me. Are you living in disobedience today? Listen to this now, church. Watch this. This could be you this morning. The great revivalist D.L. Moody. He heard a preacher by the name of Henry Valerie say, The world has yet to know what God will do with one man who is fully surrendered to God. D.L. Moody did some mighty things for God. And he even said when he heard that statement, God, I want to be that one that's totally surrendered to you. Are we surrendered totally to God today, church? Have we got all the idols out of our lives? Are you laughing at comedy shows or people being cynical or people being sarcastic on TV? Are you laughing at sarcasm? Let me tell you something. Sarcasm is a sin. Jesus never used sarcasm. He used sincerity. Watch this church. Every home show you watch today, you got just, just full of it. I used to love watching. The, I'm just telling on myself today. I'm just going to say it. What's that show? I can't even remember the name now. Seinfeld. Oh, I love that show. Oh, I laughed through the whole show. Until one day the Holy Spirit said, you think that's funny? You think that's funny? Well, God don't think it's funny. And it grew up a whole generation of millions of people to be sarcastic, snooty, look down on people, do nothing. And ladies and gentlemen, Sarcasm is a sin. Judgment is a sin. Jesus never was sarcastic. He answered with sincerity. Someone say, I need some sincerity in my life. We use sarcasm to hide who we really are. We use jokes to mask and laugh at, so we hide ourselves. Nobody on that show wanted to be real. 
And we've got so many today family shows where kids are disrespectful to their parents. We've got all kind of junk. Roseanne Barr just got kicked off a show because of the show she had for many years. And then she made some kind of comment. But did America forget she did that the whole time she was in comedy? Did somehow this year change where she stopped talking like that? No. We've just gotten real sensitive. Know who you are in Christ. Don't get offended. People are going to speak negative against you. Know this. we got to stop being offended. We need to stand up for who we are. Speak sincerity to people. Love people. Understand racism has never stopped. From the Samaritans to the Galatians. To the Jews to the Germans. It will never stop in your lifetime. But you can be the voice to be sincere with people and love people. Make that change. You can't make laws to make people change. No one kept the Ten Commandments and they still don't today. Church, we have been studying the Old Testament. We're studying the whole book. And everywhere in Genesis all the way to Job, every generation has failed God. Even David who had a God at their own heart. He failed with adultery. He failed with murder. You ain't going to get it right, church, and I'm not either. But when you fall in love with Jesus again, you'll get rid of a lot of that stuff. But if you're still in love with the world and you like the way the world treats you, you want to look like the world, smell like the world, I got news for you. The world will slam you down. Gosh. Gosh, the world hates you. The world smiles at us and tells us, oh, that's nice. D.L. Mooley said, just one man, could I be that man? Are you that one today? Last but not least, we shall enjoy the results of revival, and I'm going to let you read the rest of Psalms 85. After these seven things that I just brought up, church, at the end, not only is that mentioned, but salvation is mentioned after revival. Peace is mentioned after revival. In nine, glory of God is mentioned in in, in revival. Harmony is mentioned in revival. And praise God, what we like the most as Americans, increase is always there when you're with God. Provision is always met when you're with God. God just said, don't let your provision and your love for provision outweigh your love for my presence. See, we've, we've, we let stuff and, and, and possessions destroy us and control us when God said, don't... For where the presence of the Lord is, there's a fullness of joy, not where the presence of your presence are. Come on, church, come with me on this journey. I promise you, if we begin to do these things and act on it, we will see a move of God. I've got news for you today that I just need to go ahead and share with you. I don't know how this is going to happen, but I do know this. Foundation Church now, <laughs> you know, i got to wear my glasses because i got small print. Come 1st June. We got to be out of this building by the next first of June. Today, and the Lord's been trying to tell me when to announce this. From today, it's 330 days we will vacate this building. 333, excuse me. 333 days. So we work with the hospital. We told them, all right, we're going to give up our spiritual building and we're going to let you have it and turn it into a physical building. Now we're going to believe God for something else. Now, do I know where we're going? No. Do I know what we need? No. Do I know what, when, where, and why? No. I just know in 330 days, we're leaving this building. I hung on because I kept saying to God, I'm not moving and I'm not selling until you tell me where we're going, show me the plan, and I'll do it. And one day God said, did Abraham argue with me when I told him to go? If you want something good, Go. Let me tell you something. I travel around places in little small towns all over America, in North Carolina. I see little small churches everywhere. Small churches are dying. The consumer of Christianity today wants to go to the bigger church. The bigger churches are the community churches, or sometimes you've got a big denominational church. Let me tell you what people are looking for when they, when they do this. The majority of all the increase in the last two years in those churches is because it's just people that left other churches to go to that one. Why? Got more programs, got more stuff for my babies, they got a daycare. Ooh, I get a discount on the 1 through 12 school. Let me tell you something. 
Jesus, and I'm okay with this because I'm not about success and attendance for numbers anymore. Why? Because numbers is, <laughs> Jesus wasn't either. He preached to thousands at one time at a day, but he, every time he was finished, he left them. He left them. On your way out, take a picture of the bulletin board in the lobby. It says this, in revival, God is not concerned about filling empty churches. He is concerned about filling empty hearts. See, you being a church member means absolutely nothing. Because I had a membership at Gold's Gym, and look at me now. It don't matter what you sign up for and what you pay for. Just because you sign up for Gold's Gym don't mean you look like Gold's Gym. Let me tell you something. You can go to church, but it don't make you a Christian. You can sit in a garage all day long, but it ain't going to make you a Studebaker. Church, let me tell you something. God has delivered me from buildings. Now, we all know that we're going to be out of debt by doing this. We only owed about $130,000 on this building. We bought it for $450,000, and now we only owe that. We'll pay it off. But I'll say this. By looking at land and buildings in this area, I still don't have enough to build a building or buy land for what we'll have. God said, don't focus on that, focus on people. Now, some of y'all got real freaked out when we had a leadership meeting a while back. And I told everybody, oh, we're gonna, we ain't going to have a place to go. People said, where are we going, Pastor? Where are we going? Look, churches all over America are dying Sinners don't go to church. They live out there just like you live out there. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to tell you something. I ain't scared. I ain't worried. But I ain't stopping ministry. I ain't stopping doing the gospel. With you or without you, I'm going to do ministry. See, for weeks, I've needed people here. I've had people in my heart that would be here. I've texted people to be here. I had something for them to do. They didn't show up. I can't trust people. But I'm going to try. But let me tell you something. God is going to make a way. And remember this. Anybody that goes to a church, remember this. Many times churches are more divided today than ever. I have preached a long time. It's 12 o'clock. I've not done that in a long time. Y'all okay? Tush okay? Stand up. Stretch. It's okay. Church, let me tell you something. God has put this revival on me, and I know I got to catch it and burn before you can burn, but I got news for you. If you ain't burning something inside of you to want to get closer to God today, I got news for you. You might want to go jump in that garbage can. Church, I have admitted to y'all some stuff today that I would just normally, oh, praise God, preacher's all good. Just yes, everything's good. Glory to God. Thank you. You know what? I'm imperfect, and God loves me. Betty, get up here real quick and tell us what you need to tell us. Did that scare you when I said real quick? <laughs> but you can do it. You can do it. No, you can do it. Share it. I'm going to share this real quick now. This is Betty Livingston. We're not related in so-called close family. She's a Livingston, but, you know, we live in Orr County, so there's a lot of different Livingstons out there. But she's still like family. And she was married to a man, and he just passed away recently. And she wants to share with what happened to him. And if you knew Kenny, like I did, because he pulled me over a lot in the police car when I was younger, <laughs> he is a mean man. Nah, he was just doing his job. He was just doing his job. But she's going to yeah. share something. She's burning. She's got to share it. So listen. This I have to say about my husband. We were married in 85, and we had a very bad tragedy to happen. And in this, it did something in my husband's heart where he could not share things with me. So therefore, throughout our 30-some years of marriage, there was bitterness because he would build up bitterness in his heart, not with me, but it reflected onto me. And therefore, if you have bitterness on somebody, it brings bitterness out into you. I'm going to say this right now. If you have bitterness, get rid of it. Amen. But in this, my husband got sick. In 2000, he had melanoma on his shoulder, fourth stage. God healed him. Amen. And in 2006, he had lung cancer, <laughs> and God healed him. God. The, the, the doctor said he could not be healed. He had six months to live. 
That was 2006. Throughout that, it caused several different things in his body, you know, to cause him to deteriorate. And, and in that, I went through some things, but I, was, I would pray with him. I would try to talk to him. He would come to church a couple of times. And mm -hmm. in 2016, I had to go on medical leave. And it wasn't about me being on medical leave. It was about me being home with him so I could pray with him more, read the Bible more to him, and he went through another radiation treatments all throughout that while I was still on medical leave. But I was there for him. We prayed together. We talked together. He let me lay hands on him. <laughs> and God just did something in him that you could... If, if you had come to my house before and after, Psalms 23, read it, eat it, because that's what he did. He lived it. He breathed it. I stayed home with him. I went ahead and retired and stayed home with him. And God just touched my husband in a way that you'll never know. My home was filled with angels. People would come to my home and they would want to come right back because the glory of the Lord was in my home. My husband confessed sins. He asked God to forgive him. Anybody that came in, he asked them to forgive him if he had done anything. And in this, I just want you to know that if you have anything in your heart that you need to give up, you need to give it up. And I want to tell you this right now because my husband was saved when he passed on. He did not want to leave without me, but I know where he is right now. And this candle has to be lit because it hasn't been seven and a half months. But I want you to know that my husband is in heaven. And I'm going to see him again. <laughs> and I want you to know that when you read Psalms 23, let each verse come out to you in a spiritual way, because that's what it is. Thank you. Amen. Hmm. Uh, anybody got a lighter? It's okay, I need a lighter. I need a lighter, just can't. Under the pulpit, my bad. Okay, this is our salvation candle. We light it every time someone gets saved. And, of course, you get the honors of the light, that candle. You hold that down and light it like that. So I'll let you do it. Ladies and gentlemen, not only today we dedicated a child that will serve the Lord forever, we have dedicated this sanctuary in this building for 33, 333 more days. Ladies and gentlemen, I have looked up the number 333. I can't find my flyer. I don't know what I did with it. But there's some significance to 333. 3 is SOS. 3 is a warning signal. 3 is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 3 is multiples and runs into secession. Ladies and gentlemen, I will get you this flyer to look at it. I'm not always into numbers and really understanding it. But when I'm coming to church, the Lord told me today I was to tell you that the building has been sold and that we have to be out. He should now tell them the exact days. Of course, I'm not good at math. So I had to sit down and count the calendar and figure it out. Siri didn't even know. <laughs> Siri told me. Siri told me wrong. But we actually settled and signed the papers. We have not received payment yet, but we signed on June 1 with them, and they said, is it okay if we put it effective as of June 1 for the year? We'll let you stay for free for a whole year. I said, my heart and my flesh said, no, I want to do it after I get the money. And the Lord spoke to me and said, no, do it. Ladies and gentlemen, we have 3,333 days. I need you to pray for this ministry. It may move. It may change. It may not put a building up. It may change its name. But I am so ready to hear what God's going to do. Amen. I'm excited. Amen. I'm no longer in fear and want to know what's going to happen next. I just know we do our part. God will do his part. You'll never fill the church up, church, if you don't bring people to church. But go ahead and win the lost out there. And then bring them to a good family and meet people like Betty. And meet people that are here. I don't know about you, we get in squabbles and family gets in squabbles and churches get in squabbles. I didn't want to be a pastor because they ran my pastor off when I was 11 years old because he got a divorce. I hated 
church when I was that age. I dare you to run the pastor that led me to the Lord off because he got a divorce. You legalistic bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees. You know why they call them Sadducees? Because they're sad, you see. Church, we've got to have mercy and grace Amen. in the last days. Amen. And you need to be out there and do it. Light it for him. Kenny was saved. Hallelujah. And got saved by the love of his wife. You love that man when he wasn't so loving. You love that man when he was bitter and hateful. You, Betty Livingston, were the light that he saw and loved dearly to get rid of that bitterness. God bless you. Stand to your feet this morning. Praise God. All right, now. I got so much more where this came from, I'm going to bust. I got to stop, though. I think this is the end.